The text and the uh, scripture reading is Acts 26, uh, verses 1 through 23. Acts chapter 26, uh, verses 1 through 23. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, this your word. Uh, We pray now that uh, as we have a short uh, time to look into it, you'd be pleased to bless us. And we pray that uh, from this word uh, we might uh, gain an understanding of the fact that part of our purpose uh, for being in this world as Christians is to testify to both small and to great about Jesus Christ and who He is and what He has done and how it is that He saves people like us. So be pleased uh, this evening, Father, as we uh, do have this short time to look into this particular piece of Your Word to bless us and to enlighten our minds and our hearts uh, by the power of Your Spirit to this Your Word. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen. It's a good thing to have some purpose in life. It's a good thing to have some direction and have some idea where we're going in this life. As I've reflected on my own life, I'm glad that I received an appointment to attend the military academy at West Point because automatically I had eight years of my life planned out for me. I had eight years uh, in college at the academy and eight years that I promised to give to the army. Uh, Otherwise, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And that's the truth of the matter. It's a good thing, uh, you see, to have purpose and to have purpose from God. Uh, Some of us have uh, uh, taken note of this in our own lives and uh, selected a verse or two uh, by which uh, we uh, can guide our lives. And uh, in my own ministry, uh, in the uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church and later in the Reformed Presbyterian Church and and uh, as a professor at the seminary, our seminary, uh, my uh, guiding text was 1 Timothy uh, 1.5. The goal of our instruction is love uh, with a, uh, a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Uh, that, that was my text. And uh, I've uh, tried to live out that text. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, learned that he had a purpose in his life. And in our text this evening, Paul uh, learned his purpose uh, from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. And uh, this is uh, quite an amazing uh, circumstance. And he learned that part of his purpose was uh, that God, through Jesus Christ, intended him to be a witness to both small and great in this world. But friends, that's not just the purpose of the Apostle Paul. As we look at this text, I submit to you this evening that this too is your purpose and my purpose. 
to be individuals in one way or another who testify to both small and to great. As we get into our text, we meet this King Agrippa, verses 1 through 3. Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all the customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Uh, King Agrippa uh, was the grandson of Herod the Great. And uh, his palace uh, was in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Agrippa uh, made a trip to Caesarea on the shore of uh, the Mediterranean Sea where uh, the palace or the headquarters for the uh, Roman governor was found. And the Roman governor at the time was Festus, uh, Portius Festus. Festus had just been appointed governor. And so Agrippa uh, went down to uh, Caesarea to uh, congratulate Festus on uh, his appointment. And when he got there, uh, he learned from Festus that uh, there was a fellow in uh, prison there in uh, Caesarea who had appealed to Caesar. And uh, Festus was in a little bit of a quandary because uh, since he had to uh, send this fellow, who was Paul, uh, to Caesar, uh, he felt that he needed to send something in writing about uh, what the accusation against Paul actually was. And uh, he didn't know what to write. And he was in this quandary. Uh, so here comes Agrippa. And uh, Festus thinks, okay, a good idea now that uh, Paul appear before Agrippa and I can hear uh, Paul's defense and Agrippa can give me a heads up on what I should send to Caesar uh, with this man Paul as the accusations against him. And so uh, that's the scene uh, that is before us. And uh, Paul appears before Agrippa, as it says in the uh, first uh, verse, and it says he stretched out his hand. And it, it was probably like this. He stretches out his hand and is very deferential uh, to King Agrippa. And uh, uh, Agrippa says, uh, okay, uh, you can uh, make your defense. And what we have in these verses then is a formal defense given by the Apostle Paul before Agrippa. And of course, uh, we've mentioned this before, that in First uh, Peter chapter 3 and in verse 15, uh, the Apostle Peter exhorts all of us uh, to be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks us concerning the hope that is within us. See, that's the Christian's responsibility. And so here we have an example of a defense. And Paul is giving it before King Agrippa. And as I say, Paul is very deferential to King Agrippa. He says, I know that you know all about the Jewish religion. 
And of course, Agrippa did, as the grandson of Herod the Great. He grew up in those regions. He knew uh, about the Jewish religion. He'd no doubt heard about Jesus Christ, the stories about Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, what the Jews had done uh, with Christ. And uh, so, uh, Paul is correct that uh, Agrippa does understand the Jewish religion a lot more than Portius Festus does, that's uh, for sure. And uh, then in verse 4, we see that uh, Paul, uh, after this uh, gracious introduction, uh, goes on with his defense. So then, all the Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion, and now I am standing uh, trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Uh, Paul's defense is, is something like this. Agrippa, I want you to know, first of all, that uh, I'm a Jew, and uh, I grew up as a Jew. I was trained in the Jewish religion. I was trained in the strictest sect of the Jewish religion. And the Jews are accusing me uh, of uh, countering uh, their religion, but I am of their religion. So you see, this is how uh, Paul is uh, beginning his uh, defense. And uh, we should expect, uh, just having quoted from First uh, uh, Peter uh, 3.15, that we'd uh, hear a word concerning the hope uh, that the Jews have and the hope that the apostle have. So he says in verse 6 and following, And now I am standing trial uh, for the hope of the promise made uh, by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you if God does raise the dead? I am not only being accused by my fellow Jews, but their accusation extends to the fact that I have the same hope that they do. the hope of the resurrection. And Paul punctuates this statement with this rhetorical question. Why is it found so incredible? Say, now he's jabbing at the king a little bit. Why is it so incredible that you people should not believe the resurrection of the dead or that you should believe the resurrection of the dead? So here, uh, the apostle is standing, you see, as a Jew, uh, being accused by his fellow Jews. I had to smile when uh, I read uh, R.C. Sproul's comment on this uh, particular portion of the text. Uh, He says, uh, years ago, when I was beginning Ligonier Ministries, I had to appear before... Uh, the presbytery of the very liberal church of which I was a part. And he says, after my examination, 
the presbyters were not very happy with me. And this is R.C. for sure. He says to the presbyters, he says, well, I believe the same Westminster Confession of Faith that you swore to uphold in your own ordination vows. <laughs> you see, this is, this is the same circumstance that Paul finds himself in, or a very similar kind of circumstance. And you and I can find ourselves in these kinds of circumstances where our own brothers and sisters, for some unknown reason, who hold the same faith as we do, turn against us. This is not wholly unusual. So Paul goes on then to carry on his defense. Verse 9, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Paul says, look, I not only... Uh, held to the Jewish religion, but I held to it tenaciously to the extent that I had authority from the priests in Jerusalem to go after individuals who sought to follow Jesus of Nazareth. And I was enraged at them and uh, had them thrown into prison. You see how the apostle is is building his case here that there really isn't any reason for the Jews to be angry with me. Verse 12, Paul then encounters Christ. While so engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king... I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so the next piece in Paul's defense is simply this. Look, I was doing my business as a Jew and a follower of the ways of the Jews, persecuting Christians, and all of a sudden, I was apprehended on the Damascus Road by this Jesus Himself. I was minding my own business and all of a sudden I was surprised by glory. 
And this Jesus spoke to me. After I cried out and asked who it was. And of course, Paul must have apprehended that in some way he was faced with the divine. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. This portion of the story is quite similar to that which we read in Acts chapter 9 and in Acts chapter 22 with one little difference. The end of verse 14. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad is a sharp stick or a stick that's been sharpened to a point on one end. Uh, and, and it was used to prod cattle <laughs> along, uh, to, to goad the cattle, to get them going in, in the right direction. And uh, some suppose that uh, there were boards uh, that were made that had uh, several of these sharp uh, sticks on them that were placed uh, at the front of an ox cart. Uh, so that when uh, the ox uh, was urged to go forward and uh, rebelled a little bit, uh, that the ox would, would kick back, as uh, cattle and oxen would do, kick back, and they, they would hit the sharp goads uh, uh, with their uh, hooves and with their uh, legs. And uh, so the proverbial saying, it's hard to kick against the goads. And in this context, uh, what it appears to mean is uh, that the Holy Spirit over a period of time had been goading Paul and been, had been convicting Paul of his sin. This man had heard what the Christians had testified about Jesus of Nazareth. And he had heard uh, what they had said about this Jesus of Nazareth in comparison to what the Scriptures had said. And Paul had continually bowed his back uh, against that conviction that had come upon him by the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus is saying to, to him, it's hard, isn't it, Paul, to kick against that conviction. It's hard to kick against the goads, as it were. And so, this man is confronted and surprised by the glory of Christ. You remember, uh, those of you who were here when we first talked about this, that uh, at one point or another, you and I, if we are Christians, we too have been surprised by the glory of Christ. This is also part of our uh, testimony of your testimony and of my testimony. But the story does not stop there. Verses 16 and following. Uh, Jesus says uh, to Paul, But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose... See, here we come to the purpose now. For this purpose I have appeared to you, 
to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Get up, Paul. Here's the purpose now that I have for you. I'm appointing you as a witness. And you are going to open the eyes of the blind and turn them from darkness and from the dominion of Satan to God. Well, wait a minute. No mere man can open the eyes of the blind. No mere man can turn individuals from darkness to light. No mere man can cause the shackles of Satan and the dominion of Satan to fall away. No, it's by the Word of God, as the Word of God is proclaimed by the power of the Spirit under the direction of Jesus Christ that these things take place. And so the appointment is to go and proclaim the Gospel to preach the Word of God. And Jesus Christ says that He will use His Word as an instrument to open the eyes of the blind, to lead them from darkness to light, and to lead them out of the dominion of the devil. There's a great example of this in Acts chapter 16 and in verse 14 where the Apostle Paul is uh, preaching at the riverside in Philippi. And uh, uh, there's a lady from uh, Thyatira uh, who is there. And uh, she's listening, the Scriptures tell us. And the Scriptures in that place tell us that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. This is the idea. This is the ministry. And Paul was apprehended by Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, and he was pressed into service by Jesus Christ to testify to the truths of Jesus Christ. He not only was surprised by glory, but he was pressed into service. And of course, as we've said before in an earlier lesson, you and I have also been pressed into service. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We have been saved for a purpose to be witnesses and testify to the goodness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been pressed into service to this extent.
verse 19. So Paul goes on to indicate his response to the Lord Jesus. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. I am a Jew, raised as a Jew, trained as a Jew, was a, the, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and I followed the Jewish religion rigorously, and suddenly, on the road to Damascus, minding my own business, as it were, the business of persecuting Christians, Jesus Christ took me. See, this is part of Paul's defense. Jesus Christ took me, and I was apprehended by Him. And He commissioned me to be a witness to Jews and to the Gentiles. He's the one who did this to me. And I was obedient to the heavenly vision, King Agrippa. This is my defense before you. And so I kept declaring throughout all the regions of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing the deeds appropriate to repentance. I was preaching repentance towards God. And the Jews tried to kill me for this. This, again, is part of Paul's defense. As I say, when I read what R.C. Sproul said about his facing the Presbyterian there, being a little bit unhappy with him because he was a little bit more conservative than the Presbyters were, it kind of reminded me of my own circumstance when I was ordained and stood before a council in the Congregational Church in Pasadena, California, which was part of a very liberal denomination. And the only question regarding the Bible that I was asked in these exams was by a little old lady. I shouldn't say a little old lady now, should I? Was by a little old lady sitting in the front uh, who asked to raise her hand and ask the moderator if she could ask a question. And the question was this. Uh, uh, will you be able to uh, uh, do Bible studies as a military chaplain? That was as close to the Bible as the examination got. And uh, when the council met and uh, the moderator came back, the council said, uh, the moderator said to me, uh, well, Mr. Prudhoe, 
uh, we, we don't approve of the seminary that you went to, and uh, uh, we think you're a little bit more conservative than we are. But we're liberal and all-embracing, and so we feel that we have to ordain you. I said, thank you very much. But, but you see, these are the kind of circumstances that arise. Uh, uh, within the visible church of Jesus Christ. And uh, so you can get the flavor of, of the kind of defense uh, that the Apostle Paul is mounting here. Uh, so, uh, verse 22, So having obtained help from God, I stand uh, to this day testifying to both small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. I am proclaiming nothing except what Moses and the prophets have proclaimed. King Agrippa. Uh, Agrippa later says at the end of the chapter, well, if this fellow hadn't, uh, hadn't uh, appealed to Caesar, he, he would be set free. <laughs> this would be the upshot of it. But, but here is uh, the apostle now wrapping up his defense that I have proclaimed to you nothing except that which Moses and the prophets have proclaimed to you. Uh, Paul remembers quite well the stoning of Stephen. And when Stephen was stoned, he was accused of blaspheming Moses and blaspheming the temple. And Stephen's defense was quite simple. No, I'm not the one who's blaspheming Moses and blaspheming the temple. Because if you understood properly the teachings of Moses, and if you properly understood the design of the temple, you would turn to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly the case. This is the teaching of Moses and of the prophets, that Christ would suffer, and that He would die for the sins of His people, and that He would rise again. And you and I as Christians have apprehended in one way or the other the glory of Jesus Christ. And we have been pressed into His service. And He has given each of us the commission to testify to small and to great about Him. And so I say to you tonight, friends, and I'm saying this to myself also because I need this message, that If you're a housewife and you work in the home, 
in the home and doing your work under God and under Jesus Christ. How you do your work and what you say is involved in testifying to small and to great. And if you're a father in the home and you work in a business, maybe you're a car mechanic, maybe you do some writing, maybe you're an accountant, in doing your work, in your vocation, Jesus Christ is calling you to witness to both small and great. And if you're a young person in the home, it's the same for you. Because in your life, and by what you say, you bear witness to Jesus Christ in your life. And you were called by God to testify to both small and to great. And so there we are, my friends. We're not all, in, in the end, we're not all that different from uh, this great apostle. Because if we're Christians, we've been surprised by glory. If we're Christians, we've been pressed into service the service of Jesus Christ. And one of the grand purposes He has for you and for me is to testify to both small and great in all that we do. May God be pleased to so work in each one of our hearts and lives that this is the case. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. You're good to us. And we pray that You'd, in a continuing way, be good to us. That by what we do and what we say, our lives might bear witness to the good things of Jesus Christ the Lord. Grant it, we pray in His good name. We pray, Amen.